I'd like to say a special thanks to L'Oreal Paris for supporting this episode of Grazia Beauty Life Lessons. Did you know that a shocking 80% of women in the UK have reported experiencing street harassment in public spaces? This year, L'Oreal Paris has joined forces with the Susie Lamplew Trust to help raise awareness of street harassment through bystander intervention training. L'Oreal Paris is also donating 100% of L'Oreal profits from sales of its new limited edition Color Riche Satin Lipstick to the charity, available exclusively at Superdrug. So today's guest is Dr. Sam Bunting, expert dermatologist and founder of Dr. Sam Skincare. She talks us through her beauty mantras. It sort of wraps makeup and skincare up almost into one, really, because my, my approach to makeup is about doing no harm. Gives us her top makeup tips. Powder has the potential, particularly very, very finely milled powders, as, as we are dealing with now, to, to aggravate comedone formation to make things worse. And tells us how timing can be everything. If your frown bothers you and you don't do anything about it and the lines start to etch in, you can sometimes almost miss the window for improving things if the lines become very etched in or present at rest and then the treatment is less effective. Whereas if it's just done at the right moment when the lines are just starting to form, the result is quite profound because you can literally nip it in the bud. So here she is. Hello and welcome, Sam. How are you today? I'm great. So nice to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I honestly can't wait to get stuck into all of your amazing advice because I know you have tons and tons of it. But before we get into that, can you just tell me about your beauty style in general? So do you keep tons of products in your cupboard (laughs) and your makeup bag? Is it quite streamlined or you're forever testing new things? Um, it's a healthy mix of both. Like I definitely have my classics that I go back to time and time again, sort of if it ain't broken, don't fix it type approach. But particularly with makeup, I'm, I'm quite a magpie. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think of them as being on a continuum as well. You know, you work hard with your skincare, then makeup is like the treat, the way you get to really celebrate it. So I have lots, (laughs) lots and lots. Well, that's good for advice as well. So let's jump straight in then. And we'll do your five pieces of advice. We obviously need to start with skincare. So (laughs) tell me what is the best piece of skincare advice that you have to give? You know, it's, it's the basics. It's about simplicity and it's about consistency. And I suppose that's really kind of the basis of my, my practice philosophy in a way. I mean, I started my private practice in Harley street around the time of Korean 10 step layering routines and also makeup based trends, like long wear makeup, setting sprays, cosmetics being really tenacious and it's kind of the combination of those two things together. Too many products and maybe the wrong kind of cosmetics led to a, almost an epidemic of women coming to the practice to see me with dull, irritated, lumpy, bumpy skin. So this whole combination was leading to breakouts at a time when many of these women were also starting to worry about the first signs of aging. So I think, you know, it, it kind of rang true to my own philosophy anyway, which is really that the fewest, most effective products for the best results. And it really was the antidote to this epidemic of bumpy, irritated, problematic skin that I was seeing. And I think that's really what the practice has become known for. It's, it's, I guess, what I practice as my mantra across all the different social media platforms, in particular YouTube, where I think we're up to like 485 videos now, which I didn't know I had that much to say. To be wow. honest. I know, right? That's incredible. It is a lot, right? Um, you know, yeah. 213,000 subscribers going strong on there. And I still, you know, find long form content, my 
kind of educational platform of choice. You know, I, I, I get on board with reels mm-hmm. and, and TikToks and so forth because you want to reach as many people as possible. But at the end of the day, understanding is key to getting people to stick with a simple, consistent routine. And, and therefore that is where I think people are best to go to find information to solve a problem. And, you know, breakouts, congestion, even if it's just time of the month spots is such a kind of joy killer for so many people. And to my mind is a very easy way to approach solving it. Mm. And I just wish many more people would give it a go. So yeah, it sort of wraps makeup and skincare up almost into one really, because my, my approach to makeup is about doing no harm. But I think it's that combination that really does lead to great results and leads to people being able to really enjoy and celebrate their complexion. And that makes such a big difference in your life, not just in the way you look, but to you know such an extent in how you feel. Totally. And I think there's such temptation out there, especially there's so many products. And like you say, social media, TikTok, Instagram, giving a new product seemingly like every day that we must try. But I mean, I know from my own routine, like keeping things simple and stripped back is 100% what works for me. And if I deviate from that, I definitely have to try a lot of products in my job and I love doing that, but almost introducing even one at a time and not feeling like you have to put everything on your face all at once and expect, you know, all of the promises to be met straight away. Right. And I think, I think it's also having those milestones in mind that, you know, if I think about the way I practice, so bear in mind, I'm using pharmaceutical grade things to treat people with perhaps the more severe end of the skin issue spectrum. I don't tend to see them again until three months. That's like two skin cycles. And yet I think the consumer thinks that if things don't happen tomorrow or in three days time, it isn't working and they jump around. And I think it is really this constant barrage of newness that means that you never really get a steer on what your skin does and doesn't like. You probably learn quite quickly what it doesn't like, but you end up also with this stacking effect and you can't work out if something is working, what on earth the key mover is anyway. So I think it's just about managing expectations and really talking to people about like in, in, in the real skin world, actually it changes her over the course of six weeks, 12 weeks, that sort of time frame. Let's only put one or two variables in there at a time and, and really understand what our skin responds to and what it doesn't. It, honestly, it's, it's the secret to, to success really is just getting someone to be that little bit more patient. And, you know, brands that have kind of increased awareness around skin ingredients, and there's no doubt we've been seeing an absolute uprising in people learning about skincare ingredients and educating themselves. And that's a wonderful thing. But the brands, you know, like the Inculus and the Ordinary offering, you know, all these different ingredients, creating so much choice. I'm just not sure the consumer needs lots of choice. I think they need educated guidance around what the best additive ingredients is for their particular concerns. It's why I'm so passionate about building a routine finder quiz for the Dr. Sam's brand so that people understand when they go away from the website exactly what they're supposed to do with the products. There's videos to show them how to use them correctly. There really shouldn't be any question marks. And that is what tends to keep people on track when there there's no uncertainty. And I really do think that's important. Whether you're you're you know you're dealing with just you know stuff you've bought at boots or whether you're dealing with prescription grade skincare. And of course that has increased in terms of its access now with the likes of Skin and Me and Dermatica. So we've never had more access to phenomenal tools, but I think what is lacking to a large extent is the kind of explicit guide you only really get by somebody, you know, either who knows about skin, so with dermatology background, or, you know, you're in front of them, they can actually see your skin. So buyer beware. I think right now we've never had so much, but 
the understanding of how to use it correctly. You know, we're, we're getting there, but I don't think we're quite there yet. But you mentioned about that routine finder that you have with your own brand. I have used it. It is so brilliant. It just cuts all the stress out of shopping for products and the confusion. And like you say, it simplifies, gives you what your skin needs at a certain time. And I think that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm a big fan of your brand anyway, but I think that routine thing for someone wanting to buy into really hardworking skincare that shows results is yeah a brilliant tool. So if you haven't tried it, try it for anyone listening. It's really nice that you say that because I think because people have gotten so used to brands like The Ordinary offering so many ingredients, they're a little bit perplexed when they come on the site and they go, but there's only three serums. But I think it's because we've cherry picked the best ingredients. So two of the serums contains four active ingredients. It's the right ingredients and the right combination at the right percentages all in one layer. It's almost like it's hard to believe, can it really be this simple? Can you really do all this with just one layer? But, you know, I've thought really carefully how to combine those ingredients. I mean, you know, I'm an azelaic acid lover. And the reason it's in so many of the active products is because its versatility and usefulness, particularly in the sensitive skin space, is there. So, you know, the routine that you get is more nuanced. There's lots of different permutations and the changes are subtle between the different routines, but they do make all the difference in the world to someone who's maybe got redness and more sensitive who's breaking out versus somebody who's super oily and their skin can kind of take anything. So there, the difference is simply in the speed with which we introduce each of the elements. But honestly, the God is in the details with those little things. And it's what I do in the practice. I don't use 20 different prescribing elements. I use seven or eight for most people, but it's how I use them and the products that I use them with that makes all the difference to how somebody can tolerate them, stick with the routine and ultimately get those all important results. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's what I think consumers deserve is to have yeah. the complete answer, not just the products, but here's how you get the most from them. Definitely. And I like that how you put that. That's the complete answer as well. You're giving them, you know, exactly what they want. But also when it comes down to singular ingredients, you touched on azelaic acid then. I know this is probably hard, but kind of top three that would give results, those kind of singular ingredients, what are your kind of go-tos? For me, it's in terms of versatility, um, it's azelaic acid, it's niacinamide and it's a retinoid of sorts. And ideally a retinoid that is ready to go, that doesn't need to be converted. So I like Granactive retinoid in the non-prescription space. And then you're talking about adapalene, tretinoin in the prescription space. So you know what's the active amount of the product that's going into the skin. You're not relying on the skin's conversion to activate it. But those three I could do a lot with, <laughs> you know, I could probably endless things. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I mean, the interesting thing is that I think marketing around skincare, I think it, it kind of breeds confusion. I think because maybe consumers are more likely to, to make impulsive decisions. I don't know, but at the end of the day, you know, Azelaic acid is, is so versatile. It helps me with redness. It helps me with pigmentation. It helps me with breakouts and congestion. It's also a really effective antioxidant. We look at retinoids. We've got anti-aging in there with fine lines, wrinkles, and pigmentation. We've got some anti-inflammatory benefits there too. It's great for texture. We look at niacinamide. It's barrier boosting. It's good for pigment. It's an antioxidant and it's anti-inflammatory. You know, that kind of covers most of the bases. And, you know, you use a combination of those. Maybe you do what the niacinamide first to increase skin's resilience. And then you bring in the azelaic acid to downturn the inflammatory response. And then you find 
oh gosh, I didn't think I could tolerate a retinoid, but I actually can because I've preconditioned my skin with the ingredients that actually help open the gateway for retinoid usage. So I've got people with terrible rosacea, you know, day one, who've been able to happily use a prescription retinoid after six months to a year. And we're both surprised, but their skin loves it. It really benefits from that redensification of the dermis. So it really is about how you use the tools at hand that we know are effective in skin. And to be patient. I think that's a very good piece of advice is just to be patient. Literally. I mean, I would recommend people set like a time in their diary for their own retinoid check. I mean, retinoid tends to be the hardest, the tough love one. And if you're doing it on your own, because there can be some little bumps at the beginning of the journey that can really put people off if they don't have, you know, the reassurance of being, you know, my patients can call my office. Is this normal? Should I be getting flaking? Should I be getting purging? I have tried to put all this into a video series around retinoids because I do think it is the toughest ingredient to conquer when you're nervous at the beginning. The YouTube series is called The Retinoid Revelations. I've literally put all my knowledge of retinoids into that series. But I do think it's the one ingredient category that just has such a profound ability to change the skin. So I think it's, it's, it's worth it. But as I say, you need somebody holding your hand, whether it's a Facebook group community. And I think that's the great thing about so many of the closed Facebook groups is they're so altruistic. You've got experienced people who've, you know, really kind of managed their skin and they really understand about active ingredients. They're kind of buddying up with people who are just starting out. And, you know, I see that in my Facebook group all the time. It's, it's a great thing to see. People are so generous with their experience and knowledge these days. And also that people love to be part of that community. And like you say, that you can check in things like that, which is so important. Yeah, upload a couple of before and afters. And is this, this is normal? Should it be, you know, is this how yeah. it should be going? <laughs> and how about on the formulation side? Are you working on anything at the moment? Do you have anything coming up? Yes, we have quite a busy NPD pipeline. We are adding to our cleansing oh, part of the oh range. Oh my gosh, I love the cleanser. September. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the product we've sold the most volume of. And I think it's just that, you know, when you get your cleanser that you like and your skin is happy with, it just becomes like an automated thing, right? You know, be like, you know, toothpaste replenishment. It's just like, okay, that's my cleanser. I'm, I'm good. And I really wanted to make sure that was how I, I felt about my cleanser, that it was a product that stopped me looking for any others. So far, so good. We will have a new active in the next few months, which is always a really exciting one for us. Yeah. Those are the ones that, you know, they take the longest to formulate. I really do try and push our formulator to her limits. She's like, we're doing what? <laughs> you know, we're doing what now? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, we're always going to be a brand that does slow launches. Like I, I really want a product to be necessary, you know, necessary for the range, but also kind of maybe really pushing the envelope when it comes to the ingredient combinations, particularly on the active side of things. So yeah, excited. And a few more sustainability focused elements coming in the range. You know, we really love to listen to our customers' feedback. So many people have really invested with the brand and, you know, just they want to get involved with testing and, you know, helping us improve. So we always welcome that feedback and try to implement it as much as we can. So watch this space. Lots of exciting stuff coming up. <laughs> okay, well, let's go on to your second piece of advice and talk about makeup then. What is your best piece of advice when it comes to makeup? Yeah. So it sounds a bit like bleak, but I mean, as I say, it is do no harm. And I think, you know, as I say, the long wear foundation thing for me has been a bit of a bugbear for a long time, just because there is this vicious spiral of behavior, you know, invariably somebody who wants long wear makeup usually has something they want to conceal. And more often than not, that's something in the breakout congestion space. 
And then the problem is it can then necessitate complex double cleansing routines to get the stuff off. It can be really tenacious products that are designed to last for 24 hours. I'm not really sure who really needs foundation to last for 24 hours, maybe an air stewardess, but apart from that, and you know, that, so that the combination of potentially comedogenic cosmetics, a poor clogging cosmetics, plus a cleansing process, which can, in, you know, you potentially irritate the skin barrier because you often need an oil and you often need a foaming cleanser to get the oil off and, and all the rest of it. I just think you end up starting from a position of weakness when then it comes to actually building an effective routine. You really want your makeup and your cleanser to really just create a kind of, you know, ground zero neutral position so that you're not depleting your skin so you can handle retinoids and benzoyl peroxide and all those things. And you're not irritable. So for me, it's all about skincare first and then makeup and cosmetics, you know, that then fit with that philosophy and don't cause any harm and don't cause problems. So I am a big fan of the light non-comedogenic base, something like, you know, NARS tinted moisturizer, which is kind of a classic. And then, you know, pinpoint concealing with your coverage just where you need it. I know it takes longer. I know. But a, I think it gives a more natural result because invariably, you know, particularly with adult acne, we're often just dealing with a zone in the lower face, right? So maybe 70 to 80% of the skin isn't affected. It's just this peculiar distribution that we see with breakouts and congestion in adult women. And then you've only got coverage really where you need it. Whereas heavy coverage all over to conceal this ends up making it look like there's more to hide and you see less of the natural quality of the skin. And I just think at the end of the day, aesthetically, the balance is better with that combination. It's better for the long-term health of the skin. That's my approach. Like I'm not, this is not hard science. It's just what I've seen work, you know, over the years. And we will be right back after this little aside on our series partner, L'Oreal Paris. Together, L'Oreal Paris and the Susie Lampu Trust, the pioneering personal safety and anti-stalking charity, have partnered up on the Stand Up Against Street Harassment Bystander Intervention Training, which is available for anyone to do through an in-person, workshop or online. The training is designed to equip people with the skills to safely and effectively diffuse incidents of street harassment when they witness them. In addition to this, L'Oreal Paris has launched Lipstick Is Not A Yes, a limited edition Colourige satin lipstick available exclusively at Superdrug. Developed from the first red Colourige lipstick introduced 37 years ago, the bullet of this bold red lipstick is embossed with a feminist symbol of sorority. And then, of course, as you start to get the results coming through, those kind of cosmetics really celebrate the effort and work that goes into improving the complexion. So... I just think if you want to kind of stay away from that vicious spiral of cover, worsening skin, cover more, you know? So yeah, I mean, and then, and then it becomes a celebration, as I said before, once things start to improve, then you can really go to town with your highlighters and just really enjoy the effort and, and fruits of, of your hard work. So that's my approach to makeup. And I guess that's something that I've adopted for myself. I'm definitely breakout prone and I'm a bit redness prone. And I'm, you know, of course not getting any younger. So it's that kind of combination of what cosmetics give the skin its best finish whilst also being, con- you know, kind of conscious and sensitive to those, those skin concerns. So I'm like a lot of my patients, you know, juggling with more than one issue at a given time. So it means I've done a lot of exploration around the brands I find work well for me. I often then make suggestions to patients and then they give me feedback. So I'm in a really good place to get that feedback loop 
I do practice a no powder philosophy. <laughs> oh, tell me about that. Most of my patients are on board with it, but you know, I, I just believe that powder has the potential, particularly very, very finely milled powders as, as we are dealing with now to, to aggravate comedone formation to make things worse. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'd really rather somebody was working with a cream-based cosmetics, you know, matte finish concealer by all means, and then just using blotting papers instead. Certainly keeping powder away from the trouble zones. So yeah. So is that is that just setting powder or is that like a powder blush, a powder bronzer? Are you just creams all the way? Well, if you think about it, typically bronzer and, and blush are generally above the kind of the danger zone anyway. It's mainly focused at setting powders. As I say, I don't really mind too much what people use as color cosmetics because typically they've got their cream base on first. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, powdering for oiliness and for oil management, that is, I guess, what I'm yeah, that's interesting, quite keen for though. people to avoid. Yeah. And where would you say the danger zone is? Like what what is the danger zone to avoid? Yeah. The you of the face classically. Um, I mean, you know, when we see patients with PCOS where we know that androgens, the kind of the male hormones are, 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 you know, elevated typically, um, we see, you know, a lot of activity along the jawline, particularly at the angle of the jaw. So really for people who are, you know, the classic place to break out on your period is just this kind of little, what I call the triangle of doom from the corner of your mouth down to your chin. So that lower part of the face just tends to be where we're more at risk of breakouts. You can still see activity on the forehead and things, but more often than that, that's to do with skincare and makeup choices. So the you of the face is the area I think you have to be really careful. <laughs> have you got the cat in the background? I've got a cat here, sorry. I like it. A guest appearance. <laughs> Oh, Hector. He's, uh, it's his time for love. Hector. <laughs> he's, he's, he's had a snack. He's a little Aussie cat. And, um... Well, hi, Hector. <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying? Yes, about spots, which I think is really interesting and not something that we kind of think of or that everyone knows, is the position of spots and what they might mean. And that's interesting you say about the forehead being mostly related to skincare. And then that kind of area around the jawline and around the mouth being be it hormonal or other factors as well. And kind of treating those areas differently, I guess. I think with the forehead, you know, we've, we have more oil in our T-zone, right? So the classic pattern when, when the sort of hormones switch on at puberty is the T-zone distribution. So it's not that that isn't in keeping with a response to our normal levels of hormones. It doesn't even necessarily mean that the hormone levels are abnormal. It's just we have skin that nowadays is behaving more sensitively to the normal level of hormones, something clearly is sensitizing our sebaceous glands to behave a bit differently and to clog up and produce more sticky oil. But we do sometimes see a type of acne called acne cosmetica, which is often due to, you know, coconut-based hair products kind of touching the forehead and things. So it's just something to bear in mind that it's not necessarily the case, but it's just something to think about. Oh yes, I started using that new hair pomade. Maybe it's that. And then of course, mid-face is more typically rosacea, often with the background of redness. But I don't get too much more into the distribution maps than that. I think those kind of are just, they're good areas to kind of question, you know, what's the basis of the problem? Some people have acne and rosacea, so they'll have a melding of spots on the cheeks that then go onto the jawline and there's two different processes afoot. So again, if your skin is behaving a bit more sensitively, despite seeming to have acne type spots, it's often worth getting seen because sometimes there's more than one diagnosis at play. And that that can be really tricky to sort out by yourself. You usually need some sort of guidance with that. So I wouldn't suffer too long if you think, you know, it's maybe a slightly more complicated situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I have rosacea and especially around the cheeks and coverage. It's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because 
in the morning, your instinct would be to want to cover it. But I think, like you say, applying a lightweight base all over and just pinpointing the areas of redness rather than taking a full coverage approach, I agree, is what I, I like to do. But what kind of concealers would you recommend that give enough coverage if that's what you're after for covering, say, redness? I'm a big fan of the NARS, the matte concealer in the pot. I, mean, I like Radiant Creamy too, but I just think when it comes to blemishes and even like, I mean, I tend to get a bit red around my nose. What about you? My foundation comes off around four o'clock. And, then, you know, then if you have a hot drink, everything just gets a bit pink. So I also like Surratt. They have a really nice two-tone compact, a bit like the Laura Mercier product. But I actually prefer the formulation of the Surratt product. And it's quite a good one. It's a very malleable concealer that you can even apply with like maybe a, a baby beauty blender on the go. And I just think that is the way to keep the least amount of cosmetics with, you know, and then just using the right level of coverage where you need it rather than, as you say, building up all these layers that, you know, a more sheer product might not work so well. Let's say concealer is designed to use, you know, small amounts, maximum impact type things. So I like both those products, so the NARS and the Surratt concealer. What else do I like? I mean, I think Vichy Derma Blend, if you can find the right shade, nothing really beats it for coverage. And often what's best is to get the, the shade that is closest to your skin tone and then you can mix it in with a lighter coverage a concealer for like a custom blend thing. Obviously NARS comes in about, I don't know, 30 shades now. Um, it's one of the best ranges for getting a good skin match. So yeah, so you can sometimes amp up the coverage even further with Dermablend. That can be quite a nice thing to do. Custom concealer, I like it. Yeah. Also that NARS concealer is just so good. I've yeah. lost count how many pot, but although it lasts ages, I've still lost count and it's so good. And especially for covering redness. So I am with you on that one. Let's go on to number three then and talk about treatments. What is your best advice when it comes to treatments? So I think it's all about the right thing at the right time. People are a lot more comfortable talking about these things nowadays. So sort of knowing where your face is going almost, you know, sometimes it is a matter of looking at your mum and just thinking, okay, you know, I, I, I see that I have the same tendencies to frown or to purse my lips. Lip lines are a terribly common one. I think women often develop like little you know, they play with their mouths and um, little habits like that over time can lead to etched in lines. So it's just kind of catching those little things. I think in particular, the facial expressions that maybe give out an emotional cue that doesn't match with how you feel. You know, sometimes we catch ourselves, we're frowning all the time. We're not cross, we're not angry, but it can sometimes read as that. So you know, similarly, a corner of the mouth where the volume is starting to be go under the, you know, the, the corner of the mouth. Sometimes that can lead to a sad downturn corner. And again, you know, has absolutely no bearing on how that person is feeling. But if the world reads it, oh, you know, cheer up, love that sort of stuff. Sometimes those are things which make us feel better by addressing them early. And, you know, I think for me, probably being quite intense type A sort of person, frowning early on was always something that I was going to have to deal with if I, you know, didn't want to have massive grooves above my eyebrows. So I've done Botox in my upper face now for quite some time, 10 years of that. And I haven't done much else. I've had the odd little bit of laser for red vessel type things. I have to say that I haven't ever probably had the, the downtime space to do them really thoroughly because sometimes, you know, if, if IPL doesn't doesn't sort them out. You have to go onto something called pulse dye, which is a very safe laser, but can leave you looking quite bruised. So I've got some areas I'd like to improve on a bit more in the redness front. Unfortunately, creams only go so far when it comes to redness. Um, and I've had some Profilo as much to see what it does because it's such a light treatment. I'm not very good at 
telling patients about treatments where I'm not totally convinced of their benefits. So, you know, a lot of the time you have to try these things to really see yeah, it. Test them out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. For quite a subtle treatment in terms of like, it doesn't really any downtime at all. It's very safe. Really does give the skin a lovely, lovely glow and boost in a way that people do struggle to work out what it is that you've done, but does look really good. And it's very mm-hmm. in harmony with the overall philosophy of the clinic, which is about looking, you know, the best version of yourself as opposed to looking different or altered in some way. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, as somebody who's advising others on these sorts of things, I suppose the people that I guess I gel best with as, as patients are people who have a similar philosophy to me. I think that's the, the way to make patients happy <laughs> and also to be happy with the work that you were doing. So I think that's, um, I say a lot of women in their forties on the same trajectory as me. And, you know, we talk about these things and we noodle about when's the right time to think about maybe doing the eyelids and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, the same kind of conversations I'm probably having with my girlfriends as well. But, um, for now that's as much as I've done. And, as I say, I think it is about the right thing at the right time. You know, if your frown bothers you and you don't do anything about it and the lines start to etch in, you can sometimes almost miss the window for improving things if the lines become very etched in or present at rest and then the treatment is less effective. Whereas, you know, if it's just done at the right moment when the lines are just starting to form, the result is quite profound because you can literally nip it in the bud. So I think it's about having an open mind about what's available going and having a chat, finding somebody who's on the same page as you, marinating in that, not rushing to do anything immediately, and then just working out what feels right. And yeah, it's an enjoyable journey. But of course, you know, skincare is is all that you want to do, then that's fine too. I've got patients and kind of in both lanes and, you know, you can make a big difference, whatever approach you go about choosing. And like you say, it's about finding someone you trust that you can have that open conversation with. And also I think looking at their previous examples as well, I think. I think so. And the, and the staff in the clinic, you know, you get a feeling for the aesthetic of the practice, I think. Mm. And that's great. Like there's the right person for everybody. But um, I definitely think it's the kind of work where you probably do want to go and speak to a couple of different people. Mm-hmm. And I think often, you know, it, it's worth paying for that consultation and think it might seem like a big investment, but typically once you find the right person, you're often in a relationship with that person for a long time. And I think you want quality of advice up front as opposed to somebody who's not charging for the time but is really incentivized to get you in to have a treatment so make these decisions slowly again as I say I'm very much the tortoise and not the hare in the skincare world (laughs) but um you know I think decisions should be considered that's a good approach yeah well absolutely it works for me some people want the results overnight and they're prepared to take more risk but you know that's that's grand and I'm probably not the, the right doctor for them each to their own. Yeah. Well, let's go into a fourth piece of advice and talk about fragrance then. What is your best piece of advice when it comes to fragrance? <laughs> well, for me, when you find the one, you'll know. <laughs> I haven't changed my scent in, I don't know, maybe 15 years. Like I, I've uh, Really? Mm. What is it? So it's Fracker by Robert Piguet. Oh, nice. So heady tuberose, but with sandalwood undertones and... I guess it's it's a bit like cleanser and moisturizer. I'm the sort of person where I don't really want to spend like energy bandwidth noodling on things when I've already got a good solution. So for me, mm. I found that scent. It works for me. I I like the idea that people associate that scent with me. So scent is such a powerful trigger when it comes to memory mm. that you know, creating multiple fragrance sort of imprints to me doesn't make any sense. So you have a proper signature scent then. I'm a one fragrance woman. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love it, which is actually (laughs) rare, I would say. Probably for this length of time. I obviously found the one very early. But yeah, I haven't grown bored of it. It just just feels, if I'm not wearing it, it feels like it's a bit like I've gone out without mascara. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of a something troll. What is it? That's so interesting though. Okay, this is not going to happen. But what would you do if it was discontinued? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I remember whenever the La Roche-Posay cleanser I love was discontinued and the extent to which people went to find that in different countries. I think I would just travel a lot and scoop up all the bottles. (laughs) As many as you could. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to work out how many a year I would need until, you know, (laughs) the end of time. Just clear out as much as you could. Get like some sort of cold storage somewhere so it didn't go off. I mean. I like the commitment. You've thought this through. You've thought of backup uh, backup storage in the fridge. You're going to need a whole fridge. No, not until now. But I mean, yeah, I think that's it. Like if I get wine fridge, I'm going to have a fragrance fridge. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Forget wine. Okay, let's go into your fifth piece of advice. Talk to me about self-care. What's your best piece of self-care advice? Well, you know, I mean, I'm, as I say, I'm pretty, pretty intense and, you know, running two businesses and all the content stuff means that, you know, I, I, my brain is in a state of constant sort of multitasking and I'm, I'm an overthinker. I'm a worrier. And I suppose I've, you know, I've had the brand what for over four years now. So I've really had to learn to manage myself. And obviously then we came through the pandemic and amongst all of that as well. And that was a really tough time for me personally. So I think if I hadn't discovered meditation, I might've been on medication by now, but I'm um, not, there's anything wrong with that, but I guess I felt like I was really trying to get a handle on who I am. It's not just that I've gone through bumpy patches. Do you know what I mean? Like it is really just the way I exist. And I think I got used to waking up in the morning and my brain just filling with stuff. And sometimes then when you've actually got proper things to worry about, you wake up earlier. And then that, that period of time before you get up, is just so unpleasant. You've literally got no chance of turning your day around. So having tried different types of meditation, I did the Hoffman process two years ago it was now. And Emma Gunn's um, suggested, you know, she's doing a meditation course in January this year. Do you fancy joining me? And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't really look into it too much. Really just knew that it was in Notting Hill where I live. And um, I was free and I was like, well, none of the other types of meditation are really sticking. Like for me, something about focusing on the breath tends to make my breath flow more anxiously. It's quite strange. Anyway, so turned out this is the Vedic style of meditation. And if you, you, you get given a mantra and you, you know, no one talks about their mantra. It's like fight club. You don't talk about it. Um, and I did this over these four days and I think she's the same for both of us. It's just really stuck. And routine is you get up and you do it first thing in the morning for 20 minutes. So it's a decent time commitment. And then ideally you do it again a second time, like mid afternoon or sort of late afternoon. So you don't do it in the evening too near to bed you do it for another 20 minutes again. And it really did transform my sleeping quality and it helped me create that bit of distance from my thoughts that my thoughts are not reality. Like, you know, the brain is a thought machine. It's an association machine. And, you know, the more you allow it to bathe in anxious juices, the more anxious it becomes. It, you know, you literally have to kind of t- sort of learn to step away quietly from your thoughts and be like, okay, you know, that's fine. But this is the rational approach that we're going to do here. And yeah, I think despite, you know, lots of challenges, I mean, having a brand and managing a team and just all the turbulence we've had, it's, it's been a really tough period. But I think that's really helped anchor me in a way that I sort of feel like I do think way more clearly. I'm much less likely to kind of get caught up in like nitty gritty. I have a lot more perspective. 
and I hope I'm a calmer person to be around. So for me, that is the essence of self-care. I've also been doing some rehab. I've been working with the Pilates instructor called Millie Lindsay, who's just been amazing at helping me get over some hip surgery I had two years ago. I was a, a hurdler when I was younger and an ankle sprain led to my hip decompensating again over, over the pandemic after a particularly angry session of skipping. <laughs> so um, she's really helped me kind of get back like in control of my body again. And that's been really helpful as well. So I think the combination of like feeling like I'm in control of my mind and my body at the same time where for a while there it was a struggle has really made all the difference in the world. I mean that sounds really life-changing the meditation it really sounds like you say it's impacted so many things especially with sleep like as a bad sleeper like you say it can really mess with your day the whole day ahead and then you kind of are anxious it might happen the next night and then it's a spiral and you found your thing that really works for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, having been a junior doctor, I, I, you know, I I can remember being an insomniac, even in my teenage years, then, you know, being on call every third night or fourth night or whatever it was and getting up in the middle of the night, people being acutely unwell, you know, that also I think feeds into that kind of thing, that worry about not being able to function when you don't sleep. That's exactly it. There's that thing of like, I won't be able to cope, which, you know, of course, you know, you're always able to cope, but it just, it just upsets your mood as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I notice this is my in my peer of female friends. Like, I think as we get older, we do become a bit more anxious as well. So I think there is this thing of combating what is innate to some extent. Not sure it doesn't happen for everybody, but it does happen to a lot of people and particularly people who are juggling, whether it's families, work, you know, finding time for yourself, all of this stuff. It's, um, you know, life, life can be tough. But um, I think having that one thing that, you know, if you just go away, take 20 minutes to anchor yourself, you can you know, you can cope with most things. I think it is really powerful to have that in your toolkit. Absolutely. And you said it's all about mantras. Is it literally saying the mantra for 20 minutes inside your head? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You know, it's my understanding is that none of the mantras are actually real words. It's just, it sounds that your brain has an affinity for, and it enables you to get into that meditative state more rapidly than as I say, I've ever found with any of the other styles of, 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 of meditation. And, you know, it's not that you don't have thoughts during it. Of course, you know, a thought will come along and it's an attractive thought and your brain will start to follow it. But it's the action of putting away from following the thought and going back to the mantra that really is almost the work of meditation. And I suppose it's just, it's having that control over your thoughts. Because if you can control your thoughts in that setting, then, you know, in everyday life, when maybe you start to overthink something or worry about some catastrophic outcome, you know, you catch yourself and it's then you go back to, okay, what can I do now? What, what can I do today that will make a difference? You know, you start just to say, you just start to employ that slower, more deeply kind of thought out ways of coping, which is really our, the, the newer part of our brain. It's like overriding the amygdala, which is all fight or flight or freeze and, you know, rapid, you know, dinosaurs chasing me type thinking, which often has errors built in because there are a lot of kind of shortcuts that that kind of part of our brain takes, which are not really relevant to modern living and getting us to access the newer part of our brain, thinking a little more slowly, a little more deeply. So it's just that sort of shift in gear mm. can allow us to solve problems more effectively. It sounds absolutely brilliant, Sam. And I'm definitely going to research that <laughs> after this for sure. Yeah. Well, the other, the other thing I find as well, really helped me because I sort of have this routine now. So I have the, I do my meditation. I sort of do have, but then I, I listen to the diary of a CEO almost every morning. And I have just found that as a person in business to be such a source of amazing information. 
I can't tell you how many things I've then, you know, I've gone and read books about such and such as Jordan Peterson was on talking about his philosophy, Daniel Pink talking about motivation. Like, you know, as somebody who's doing a lot of things, like I didn't go to business school, I don't have an MBA. I'm trying to support a team to do great things. I'm learning about running a direct to consumer business. I'm learning about e-commerce. Um, I'm learning about marketing. You know, we're just at the point of hiring our first proper marketing person to the team. So, you know, I, I'm making a lot of stuff up as I go along and to have, you know, people tap into resources like that and just listen to all these amazing experts in their fields and talk about the way they cope with things and what inspires them. I don't know. And also like just how about to go about being a good person. You know, there's, there's so many little nuggets. Um, I I'm, I'm just very grateful to Stephen Barlow for doing what he's done. I hope to go on there one day. I hope one day my businesses have such the interest. Yeah, absolutely. It is a brilliant podcast. Yeah, really is. And you will be on there, Sam, I can guarantee. <laughs> for sure. But thank we'll you so much for sharing all of that amazing advice. Honestly, so much. Um, and so many brilliant takeaway tips. We do finish our episodes with a bit of a lighthearted uh, note, which is talking about your biggest beauty blunder. Anything <laughs> funny comes to mind? Have you had any beauty blunders in your time? Oh, my perm when I was 13 years old, probably. <laughs> I mean, I pestered my mother to get a perm and everybody who was cool at school had a perm. I didn't feel very cool at the time. So eventually she gave in, but the problem was, A, I had a frizzy Irish hair. No one really talked about that very much. And two was my eyesight wasn't great at the time and I was refusing to wear spectacles. So whatever they did to me at the hairdressers, I couldn't see until I got home and they <laughs> literally turned me into a poodle. And I loved it. You couldn't even see it. No. You were like, yes, it's great. Thank you. And I think they knew that it was a mess. They kept sending people over to say how nice it looked. And I, I mean, obviously it wasn't. I got home, I cried and cried. I, I shampooed and conditioned it. I tried combing it to straighten it. Nothing would work. So yeah, I would say that that's the one that springs to mind. That's the one that sticks out. <laughs> the perm that you couldn't actually even see in the hairdressers. Brilliant. That's, that's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> well, thank you, Sam. Thank you for all of your amazing advice. It was so nice to speak to you as always. And thank you to everyone for listening as well. Pleasure. Lovely to see you <laughs> or speak to you. <laughs> And thanks again to L'Oreal Paris for supporting this episode of Grazia Beauty Life Lessons. While harassment sadly remains a reality for many, the partnership between L'Oreal Paris and the Susie Lampu Trust is a reminder that while it's easy to feel powerless, together we are stronger. We can all do our bit by taking the bystander intervention training at standup-uk.com. To further support, L'Oreal Paris is donating 100% profits of the L'Oreal Paris Colourige Satin Red Lipstick 